Hey, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. I want to preach a message today around transformation. We use that word a lot around here and in our life, transformation. And I want to talk to a degree about what does a transformed life look like? So for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be in the book of Acts. To me, the book of Acts is the beginning uh, of the early church, but also transformation that is happening in people's lives. Today, specifically, we're going to be looking at the life of Saul, who trans, uh, changes his name as a Paul, transforms into a new person, basically. And so as we get there, I want to give a little background about Saul, because in order to understand the significance of the transformation of Saul to Paul and how that looks in our life, it helps to understand a little bit about who he is. And I, I do think, in fact, I found myself there this morning regularly, that as I was sharing this, I, I found so much encouragement about the life of Saul, who becomes Paul, uh, because to me, let me just tell you up front, this message is a hope-filled message that God can save anybody. Amen, somebody? Like, this is, that's just a beautiful message today of transformation that nobody in this room, I'm telling you, because I don't know everybody here, nobody watching online, there's nobody in this room where you are so far away from God that you cannot be saved. Nobody. As long as there's still breath in your lungs, God can and will save you. And I know that because he saved somebody like me. And I'm looking at a bunch of people that he also rescued and saved, that had a past, that had sin, that's no longer the same. Come on, that's no longer the same. There is hope, and I love that. That's hope for your family, for your friends, for your neighbors. Uh, it's so beautiful to see. So early life of Saul. Saul was born in Tarsus, and Saul was brought up in the city of Jerusalem. He was a Roman citizen by birthright, but he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Now that's important to note. In fact, later in Paul's journey, he plays his Roman citizenship card in order to do ministry, but he's a Roman citizen, but he's also Jewish from the tribe of Benjamin, and his name is Saul, and so this is who he is. So as he's coming up, Saul becomes a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees, just real quickly, you see them running to Jesus quite often in the New Testament. Uh, Jesus often ridicules them about who they are, the way that they hold uh, so hard to the law. They followed the Jewish law, the Mosaic law, very, very strictly. At the same time, they were also hurting and persecuting their own people. And so these are the Pharisees. These are the Pharisees are the ones who wanted to kill Jesus. They're the Pharisees are the ones who uh, end up crucifying him and uh, creating the first martyr out of Stephen. So these are the Pharisees. So Paul is growing up in that. In fact, his teacher's name is Gamaliel. Uh, the only reason that's important is that he's a pretty high-up teacher of the law. So what we can surmise is that Saul is a very brilliant, I'll say the word theologian, He's very biblically based. He's very smart. We know that because he wrote most of the New Testament, and it's pretty awesome. Of course, the Holy Spirit gave it to him, but he wrote it. And so as Saul is becoming Paul, he's brilliant. But Saul goes on this war path to persecute, to arrest, and even kill followers of Jesus. Now, we often talk about the side of the coin in the book of Acts where the early church starts. But at the same time as the early church is starting, meaning the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2 and beyond, when the early church is forming, it says that thousands of people are getting saved, people are getting baptized, the Holy Spirit's moving, there's healings happening, the disciples start to spread the word and the gospel, and we often focus on that. But what's happening on the other side of that coin is the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees, do not like what's going on. 
because they're pulling them away. They're not doing things the same way that they did it. They're not following in quite the same law that they thought they should follow. And so now Jesus is coming. He's introducing this new commandment to love one another, to love endlessly, that there's grace and there's hope, which is very different than what the Pharisees have been really pounding and teaching. So there's a stirring happening in the city. So the Pharisees, again, this is a a side story that's parallel. They are now persecuting Christians, Christ followers. Uh, And so they go, they capture them, they're stoning them, they're killing them, they're arresting them. Saul is on the warpath to do that. And so Saul goes, in fact, in the scripture it says that uh, at Stephen's stoning, one of the first martyrs you read about in the New Testament, they say that at the feet of Saul they laid their cloaks in order to stone Stephen. So he was there at the very first stoning of the very first person in the New Testament that we know about. So from there he starts to go from town to town. He goes to Damascus, he's on his way to Damascus, he has an encounter with Jesus that changes his life. As a result of that encounter with Jesus, he then goes back, and now he goes on missionary journeys, his name has changed, his mission has changed, he goes on missionary journeys, he's shipwrecked, he's bitten by snakes, he's thrown out of a window, he's killed, brought back to life, goes back in the city, he is preaching Jesus now to everybody as a result of this transformation that happened in his life. As history would have it, he goes back to Rome, he's in prison, he's in the house arrest, and eventually what tradition says is that he is martyred in Rome as a Christian. So talk about a full circle of what's happening. Here's this person that thought he was doing the right thing because he's following the law so legalistically and so dogmatically, and now he's persecuting Christ's followers thinking he's doing this right thing, and then he's got this radical transformation change in his life that now sets him to preach the very name that he was persecuting under, and then he himself is martyred later in life. So this is kind of the the full story of Saul to Paul. And we're going to dive right into the middle of that, of where he's on Damascus Road. Before we get there, though, I want to talk about Christ's sacrifice in relation to transformation. What I love about communion, by the way, that we're going to be doing at the end of the service, and we'll give you an opportunity to get the elements if you didn't get them when you came in, is... Communion for us as believers is a remembrance of the very sacrifice that has changed and transformed our life. So I love that today this message is going to point us to the end of, to a salvation call, uh, to communion, to remembering who Christ is, to honoring Jesus with that, because that's the transformational power of what Christ did on the cross for us. In fact, in Scripture, in 1 Peter 3.18, it says, for if Christ suffered once for sins, He suffered for the righteous, for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in Christ. What that's speaking about real quickly is that Christ made the ultimate once and for all sacrifice. Here's the thing. Jesus did something that nobody could have done for anybody else. You can't do it for yourself. You can't pay for it. You can't buy it. Nobody else can die for your sins other than Jesus. So this transformational power of a life that has changed starts with Christ on the cross. He did something for us that nobody else could do. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, says, For our sake, for my sake, for your sake, he made him to be no sin to no sin. He made Jesus, who knew no sin at all, to take the sins of the world of mankind and set them on top of Jesus again so that we might be made righteous. Now, righteous and righteousness is just a, a fancier way of saying that Jesus made you right. He made you right before God. That you have this this God, the the Father of all things. And in order for us to be made right, to be presented before him, Jesus comes and he makes the ultimate sacrifice. In other words, he makes us right before God. 
That is the transformational power of Jesus. So let's go to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, I want to talk this morning just for a few minutes about three ways that Christ's sacrifice transforms our life. How is it that we take this Jesus who, the sins for all mankind, for all humanity, for once and for all, does one sacrifice on the cross, and because of that one moment, you and I can live a life that is changed forever. The first one is this, is Christ's sacrifice is a catalyst for change. It is the catalyst for change. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, it says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, said if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Saul was a fervent persecutor. Saul had a before. We've all had befores, haven't we? The sad thing is some of you are still living in your before because you haven't experienced the next yet. We all have a before. We all have a moment in our life where we were living life a certain way before we met Christ. It's part of our story, it's part of our testimony, it's part of our upbringing. Uh, For a lot of us, we probably don't ever want to remember the before. But we all have a before. The beautiful thing about the catalyst of change in Christ is that real quickly, that, that before is forgiven and cleansed, and now you're something new. And here's the difference, the difference that you see all through Scripture, the difference you see in this passage, the difference in your life, comes down to one thing. It's you having a personal encounter with Jesus. Not your moms, not your dads, not your relatives, you. Personally encountering Christ. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3 and 6, it says, Saul, he goes on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. See, Jesus confronts Saul, displaying the immense power of his sacrificial love. What I love about this is it's a reminder that Jesus still comes to seek and save the lost. He still does it. Aren't you grateful for that? He still seeks and saves the lost. He still leaves as scripture says, the 99 and chases after the one. And again, we know that to be true because at one time, you were the one and I was the one. At one time, we were the ones that he came to seek and to find and to save. And I love this statement. It's one of my favorite quotes that it only takes a moment to spark a movement. I love that statement because it only takes one moment in the presence of a living God to change your life forever. Just one moment. I think so often we're looking for, maybe, maybe so often we're looking for that light shining moment. I think so often we're looking for driving in the car and, and all of a sudden Jesus popping in the seat next to us and talking to us. Now that would be pretty awesome, It'd be pretty amazing, but oftentimes it doesn't happen that way, at least not for me. But I had an encounter with Christ. I had an encounter with Christ that changed my life forever. Forever. One moment. And I'm telling you, some people here this morning, You need to have that moment because nobody else can do that for you either. I could tell you about my moment with Christ. I could share my story with you, and I'm sure that would help. But at the end of the day, it is you and it is Jesus. And by the way, the moment we take our last breath on this earth, it's going to be you and Jesus. 
That is the change. That is the encounter. And we can make it as fancy as you want to make it. We can use all the big theological words you want to make it. But at the end of the day, it's you just having a personal experience with who Christ is. Now, Saul had a pretty powerful personal experience with Christ. He had a powerful experience that knocked him off his horse and left him blind. He heard a voice speaking. That's Jesus' voice. That's a pretty powerful encounter. But at the end of the day, the encounter with Christ is the ultimate catalyst for the change in our life. The second thing about Christ's sacrifice is this. We're going to work our way through this passage. Is that Christ's sacrifice, that catalyst, becomes now the pathway for our transformation in our life. In Acts chapter 9, verse 8 and 9, we'll continue to read. It says, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Drop down to verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house. Laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and he was baptized. There's something powerful about this passage. There's two things I want to hit just on these few verses here. The first one is about our spiritual blindness. Now, now I, I believe that Paul was, was actually blinded, and that God performed a miracle, and then he could see as just a proof of his power in his life. But in relation to that, I wonder how often we have spiritual blindness in our life. Or we, or we turn a blind eye to the sins in our life, maybe. And I'm just telling you this, just, just to be very blunt with you this morning. Jesus did not come and sacrifice so that you and I would live a casual Christian life. He did not come and endure the cross and conquer hell in the grave, rise again, so that you and I would be a mediocre Christian. Bowing our knee to culture, bowing our knee to whatever's coming around, being a Christian when it's convenient and not. He did not come for us to be consumer Christians, that only when it's convenient will I buy this and take this. No, he came so we would be transformed Christians, no longer the same as we used to be, which means that that has to infiltrate every part of my life, the way I think, the way I talk, the way I act, the way I treat one another, the way that I forgive people, the way that I ask for forgiveness, the way that I show grace and mercy, all of those things come into play. He didn't come and do all that he did so that we would just be the same. No, no, he came to show us the way. Remember, Jesus in his final, some of his final words while he was here, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the one that you got to see. I'm the one that you got to follow. But I wonder how often in our life we maintain our, our Christian values when it's convenient. But how of us have maybe a few edges and a few things that we don't want the Lord to do? Or a few areas in our life that we're just not willing to submit over to the Lord. Maybe, honestly, at the end of the day, because we like it. See, Jesus came to change us. I love this passage because it represents the old and the new life, doesn't it? Saul, he, he gets knocked off this horse. He has this blinding moment. He's healed miraculously. He gets up, and he was immediately baptized. He immediately goes and is, is submersed and is baptized. Why is baptism so important for us? Not only did Jesus model it, but it displays to the world around us that I've chosen to follow Jesus. It's an outward symbol of this inward commitment we made to him. That's why it's so important. And then every single day of our life, we are living that transformed life. It says he rose, he was baptized. 
It's a symbol of the dying to the old self and being risen new in the new Christ and the new self. That's the power of what it is. And listen, our baptism and just baptism in general should remind us of the radical change that Christ did in our life. That again, it's that pathway towards this transformation. The message of Jesus always leads to change. It changes us. You cannot be the same. In fact, I would even argue that you shouldn't be the same as you are when you came in here today. That there should be something that happens in your life and in my life that changes us. That just makes us a little bit more like Jesus. Now, sometimes it's a big change. Sometimes people come on a Sunday morning and it's a big change that happens in their life. We've experienced that and seen that. But oftentimes it's, it's little changes in our life. It's reminders of a, how we're supposed to live our life. It's reminders of what's happening in our life. It's reminders of, of just being a better husband sometimes or a better father or a better friend or a better follower of Jesus, a better worshiper. All these ways that he reminds us in this change. The third and final thing is this. The third and final part of the catalyst for change that we see in Acts is that it's an ultimately, it's a blueprint of the transformed life. Not only is Christ's sacrifice the, the catalyst for change that changes everything, not only does it set us on the pathway to being changed, but his sacrifice gives us the blueprint for how we should live our life every single day. If we go back to the passage with Saul, and we go to Acts chapter 13, verse 9, there's a short verse there that sets up the rest of Saul's life, where it just simply says, but Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at the person. What happens is that it's such a powerful experience that Saul's name, he changes it back to his Roman name, honestly. Paul is a Roman name. So Paul's actual identity and who he was and what he was doing. Remember, under the name of Saul, what did he do? Under the name of Saul, not only was he very brilliant and smart, but he was a persecutor and killer of Christians. That was attached to his name. So imagine having that name, having your name attached with murder, basically. We could say the same thing in our life, though. What's attached to your name? Is it pride? Is it arrogance? Is it pornography? Is it sin? Is it lust? What is it? What, what's attached to it? Or, or is it grace and mercy and forgiveness and redeemed and righteous? See, what's attached to your name matters. Now, when we accept Christ, we don't change our name. I didn't change my name. My name's still the same, but what's attached to my name is very different than what it used to be. And I love that Paul's, in other words of saying it, Paul's identity was changed. His identity was changed. You know, we're living in a time and, and, and we just, it's just all the time. It's every day now. It's exhausting. We are seeing and hearing everything about how people identify and the way people identify and all these different identifications and all these things happening, lawsuits now, uh, all this stuff going around how people want to be identified. Can I just cut to the chase? Uh, how about just being identified as a, as a follower of Christ? And, and I think that that's so critical that who we are in Christ matters. That my identity is Jesus. That's my identity. That's my identity. I'm a Christ follower. So with that identity, there should be a lifestyle that follows that. And the lifestyle that follows that should be based off the blueprint of Scripture. 
that's how we live our life. So the beautiful thing about when we come to know Jesus is that our identity begins to change, that we are found in him, that we abide in him, that we resemble him, that we are literally Christ's followers. We represent Jesus to the world around us. That is so important in our life. And I love the freedom that's there, the grace that's there. Because all the stuff that used to be attached to my name is no longer attached to the name. It's something new. It's something different. It's something forgiving and redeeming. So not only was Paul's name changed, but his calling was also changed. His purpose in life. He had a new calling. In Acts chapter 9, flip back to Acts 9, verse 20 to 22. It says that he immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. So this is after the scales came off, baptized, he starts preaching Jesus. Now again, it took time for people to catch up to who he was because people still thought of him as the old person. And honestly, that happens in our life too sometimes. I remember uh, getting in contact or recontact with people in high school and they're like, wait, you're a pastor? Yep. Huh, never saw that coming. Me either. Like, me either. But here we are. So what do we do? Right, sometimes it takes people time to catch up with what's happened in your life. But how awesome it is to tell that story. Hey, I remembered you as this person. Yeah, I remember that too, but I'm no longer that person. And here's what's changed. And it's so fun to tell people that. It's fun to tell people about the joy of life that you now have. And here's what happens. He goes, he proclaims. All who heard him were amazed. But they also said this. Is not the person who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? So people were amazed, but going, but is he going to kill us? They kind of had this both thing happen. They heard the words coming out of his mouth. They knew who he was. And then even Paul says it this way in verse 22. The scripture says, Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. He was proving in his life that he was no longer the same. He was pointing people to Jesus, and at the same time, he was showing, I am not the same as I used to be. See, what I love about this, again, is that his calling, his purpose was shifted. It was different. One of the basic fundamental pursuits of all humanity is, why am I here? What is my purpose? And sure, we all have jobs and unique skills and talents, but at the end of the day, our purpose is to bring glory to God. That's our purpose, to bring him honor and to bring him glory. And listen, you don't have to have a PhD or a theological degree to tell somebody, my life used to be this way, but now it's this way, and Jesus is the reason. And that is the beautiful testimony that all of us share. We had a past, we had an encounter with Christ, and now we're no longer the same. And people need to hear that, and they need to see that in you. This is why when we live as consumer Christians or casual Christians, it hurts the testimony of Christ. Because what happens too often, unfortunately, is people might see people who go to church and go, well, they're no different than we are. What's the difference? There's no difference. They still do the same things we do. They talk the same way we do. We do all say, no, there's got to be a difference. We are not called to be the same. I love what Scripture says that you are not of this world. Right? We have to live on this world. But it doesn't mean we have to act like this world or act like culture. We can live a transformational life. And at the beginning of it, it all starts with the encounter with Christ. So before we go on to communion this morning, 
I really do want to make an invitation to you. I certainly don't know everybody in this room, nor everybody watching online, but I want to make an invitation to you this morning. That if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you never had that, that encounter with him, and by encounter, I just simply mean just a personal relationship with him to say yes to him.